that was going to happen. He was going to die. There was no coming back. There was no turning back. And Lord, the sentence of death was in us. But the power of the blood of Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. There is a scarlet thread that ties our hearts to you. Sometimes, Father, we trample it or treat it with indifference. And yet there it is. The blood of Jesus always calling us back to the cross. Always reminding us that apart from you, we are nothing. Give us ears to hear and feet to obey this day. In Jesus' name, amen. No refresh is ever alike, and yet all of them have touched us in ways that have marked us, hopefully, for the rest of our lives. I love getting prayer cards. I got a prayer card from one of our children the other day, and uh, this is what he wrote on it. And I would tell you, if I had a thousand people that thought this way, we'd change the world. This is what he said. Mr. Cat, I wanted you to know that I'm praying for you. I don't quite know what I should pray for you. But I do know that I think it should be about revival. Now, folks, a fifth grader gets what some of us in our 50s don't get. I don't know what to pray, but I do know it ought to be about revival. Yesterday morning at about uh, 8.15, my cell phone rang, I didn't hear it. I was in another room. At about 8.30, it rang, I didn't hear it. At 8.42, I got an email, I didn't see it. At 8.45, I got a text message, I did not see that. And at 9.15, I walked in and noticed the red light flashing on my Blackberry. And I picked it up, and I called Tom Elliff. He had been trying to get me all morning. Since 2.30 that morning, he had been awake and wrestling with God. His car was packed. He was ready. He knew the messages that he was going to deliver here this week. And they went to bed, as Tom said last night, on a Friday night, giddy about being here. Jeannie was excited about singing in the choir, and he was excited about being here for Refresh because he said, in reality... Uh, Sherwood is our home, away from home. That's how much we love this church. He said at 2.30, God woke me up and said, Tom, you can't go. 
And he said, I argued and I wrestled with God and I sat up and I fought, thought, did everything I could. And they said, I just kept asking God, God, why? Why can't I go? Why can't I come? Why can't I be there? What's Michael going to say? And he said, this is the word that God gave him. That your trust may be in the Lord. And he said, I asked the Lord, is that for me? And he said, the Lord said, it's for you and for Michael. That your trust may be in the Lord. And so we talked and we prayed. And I told Terry, I've got to go to my study. Because I wasn't planning on preaching. The word was for me too. Because I have begun to depend on Tom to be the anchor. He knows how to believe God for a meeting. He knows how to pray through and change his message at the last moment if he needs to. And and I have begun, not in a negative way, but just in a not checking myself kind of way, to think if, if Tom gets here, he'll know how to help me through this meeting. Well, he's not here. But the Lord's here. And so our preaching schedule is going to be changed up this week. And... Uh, I told the staff this morning, these are just names on pieces of paper. That's all they are. And when God wants us to do something, that's what we'll do. Here's my fear. My fear is that Refresh has become my conference or our conference. And that we look forward to it and we're excited about it. We like the fellowship. We like the energy. We enjoy uh, what happens in these days, but that we could get in a rut and I could actually get in a rut of saying, Lord, I want the preachers I want instead of what you want. And that we could lower our expectations or we could try to recreate a previous year or that we could try to orchestrate that which is not of the Lord. And here's what I know, and you may want to write this one down. The moment we put our fingerprints on anything, the moment we put our fingerprints on anything, God takes his hand off of it. The moment it becomes about us is the moment that it quits becoming about the Lord. God has moved mightily and blessed us beyond measure. I mean, for the last 30 years, this church has led our association every year in giving and in baptisms, most years in giving to missions for 30 years. And we've never been church of the year. And my flesh 
rises up and says, Lord, that's just not right. They ought to honor us as Church of the Year. I mean, we've baptized more than 30 other churches combined in our association. You'd think we'd get Church of the Year. And God thumped me upside the head and said, Flesh. It's up to God to decide which is the Church of the Year. Not up to man. And so I want to preach to you this morning on a message that God gave me quickly yesterday. I want to preach to you on the snare of success. The snare of success. And we're in the book of 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 26. The snare of success. I, I believe that it is possible for us to begin to believe our own press releases. I, I believe it's possible for us to hear what other people say about us and say that we're a great church and one of the great churches in America, and maybe we are. But I believe the snare for this church and the snare that would keep us from having the revival that God wants us to have is that we would begin to pat ourselves on the back and say, you know, we really are that good. And to even whisper among friends, we're the best church in town. And forget that it's God that makes a great church. The snare of success can be that outwardly we are saying, Lord, to you be the glory, to you be the praise, to you be all the honor. Lord, this has all been because of you. But inwardly, having pride in what he's doing. And not walking humbly before the Lord. Several years ago in a refresh, one of our young children asked their mother, what does revival look like? And the mom wisely replied, it will look however God wants it to look. That's a good word. As Tom and I talked in a conversation yesterday, he told me about the first year that he was at Eastwood in Tulsa. And Manley Beasley was coming to preach for him. He had come there in August as the pastor. First meeting he scheduled was with Manley Beasley in December. Now, you need to know something. Most of you never heard Manley Beasley, but to schedule Manley Beasley in your first year could get you fired because he really didn't care what anybody thought. In fact, he could clear out a church as quick as anybody. On Saturday... Manley called Tom and said, I can't come. So Tom preached on Sunday. He saw on Sunday, Manley called and said, I'll be there on Monday, but he didn't make it. He was in the hospital. I'll be there on Tuesday. He didn't make it. He was in the hospital. An ice storm hit. And Tom said, between Manley not coming and an ice storm, I had preached the crowd down to about 250 people. He said, on Wednesday, the ice storm had hit. There's inches of ice on the road, and Manly gets to Tulsa. 
and he shows up at the church in a wheelchair. And he can't even stand up to preach. He sits on a stool. But this is what he said. In those three days, he preached Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Then he left, went home, and went into the hospital again. He said, this is what God did. In those three days, God made our church. We learned to live by faith. We learned to walk by faith. We learned to pray by faith. He said, in those three days from the time that I was pastor, we never planned a budget again based on our resources or our receipts. We only went to God and said, God, what do you want us to do? And whatever you want us to do, you're going to provide the resources for us to do it because we're going to walk by faith. We're going to give by faith. We're going to serve by faith. Out of that meeting came Faith Week, which is a youth camp that still goes on that Tom preached and Manley preached. I had the privilege of preaching the last Faith Week that Manley ever preached. He and I shared it together. If you want to know what fear and trembling is, it's having Manley Beasley sitting on the third row in a camp that he helped start and preaching when he knows he's dying and I know he's dying. I preached the first one after him. There was a difference. It changed everything about that church. Could it be that we have let the success of the ministries of this church put us in danger of losing the touch of God? Could it be with all the accolades and attention that we've gotten that God could be saying, I can't trust you anymore because it's become about you and it's not about me any longer. Second Chronicles 26 is the story of Uzziah, the king of Judah. He had a very clear but a sad record. It is the peril of spiritual prosperity and the snare of success. And the first thing I want you to see this morning is the reason for his success. The reason for his success. There's not going to be anything on the iMag this morning. This was too late to get anything up. The reason for his success. Second Chronicles 26 and verse 3. Uzziah, now this tells you that God can use the next generation. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king. And he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. Verse 4, he did right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He continued to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Now, you need to underline that. You need to highlight it. You need to bold it. You don't ever need to forget it. As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him, which implies when he quit seeking the Lord, God quit prospering him. So here he is. First of all, he's a servant of God. The reason for his success is he's a servant of God. He was, he was, his succession was not only to be the king, but to be a servant of God. 
Now, why is that important? It is because Israel was a theocracy. They were God's people. It was God's nation. And they decided one day that they wanted a king, but the king was always to serve the king of kings. The king was the servant of the king of heaven. And he was to represent the king of heaven as the king among the people. He was to obey God. He was not the final authority. He was the one under authority to the king of heaven and to the king of glory. And so he was successful because he sought the Lord as a servant of God. And so here's a question for us. How's your serving? Are you weary? Has it become stale? Has it become routine? Do you just do it because you've always done it? Do you do it so that people will come up and tell you thank you because you want the recognition that you're serving? I mean, why are you doing what you do? Why do you give of yourself and your time and your energy? Is it so that somehow you think you're adding up change in your pocket that you can spend in the treasury of heaven someday? Or is it just out of the pure joy of deciding to do what's right? He was a servant of God. He was a seeker of God. Verse 5, he continued to seek the Lord in the days of Zechariah, who had understanding through the vision of God. Now that means that Zechariah instructed the young king to fear the Lord. So he was a servant, but he was a seeker. He never stopped growing. He never felt he had arrived. He never felt Look at me. He sought the Lord. He had a fear of God. And Zechariah instructed him to fear the Lord. Here's why. Son, remember he's 16 years old when he starts. Son, don't, too much, don't put too much stock in your youthful energy. And don't put too much in the bank in your zeal. And don't believe the press clippings. And don't listen to the applause of men when you walk by and they honor the king. Don't convince yourself that you're here on your own. Don't strut when you walk. Don't be boastful. Don't be arrogant. Don't be puffed up with your importance as the king of the people of God. You need to remember something, son. You better fear the Lord. And you better understand that it's God. When he began, the task was so great, he was conscious of his need for God. He was conscious that he couldn't do anything without the Lord. He knew that without the Lord, he was sunk, conscious of the need. Could it be that we've lost that consciousness? Could it be that we've had so much success that we're more proud of our success than we are of our Savior. 
Could it be that we think we are God's favored children? That we get seconds when nobody else does? The story is told of W.P. Nicholson who was wrestling with the Lord and he was in a hotel room and he was battling with the Lord so much to try to get a hold of God that he had to go down to the manager of the hotel and he had to apologize because in his wrestling with God and longing for God to work in his life, he had literally ripped the sheets of the bed into shreds. When's the last time we wrestled with God like that? When's the last time it was more than just a few minutes of, Lord, would you bless us? Lord, would you help us? Lord, would you do some good things among us? But now we begin to see a reason for his decline. And that is he was too strong for God to use. Follow with me, if you will. Verse 5 As long as he sought the Lord, God prospered him. Verse 7, God helped him. Verse 8, he became very strong. But then verse 15, he was marvelously helped until, circle the word until, he was strong. Here was a king who had defeated his enemies, who had equipped the army, who had strengthened Jerusalem, who had strengthened the defenses. The power of God was on him. The blessings of God was on him. But now he had become too strong for God to use. Folks, we can be too strong for God to use. We can be too big in our own minds for God to use. We can think too much of ourselves for God to use us. Oh, we can still find some way to say we're being used by God, but in reality, God has quit using us. There's the reason for his decline, and it is all compressed into verse 16. In verse 16, it says, But when he had become strong, his heart was so proud And he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Now, there's a problem here. The first thing that you need to see here is there's a problem of self-righteousness, a problem of self-righteousness. His heart had become strong. Now, mark it down and hear me well. It takes a steady hand to carry a full cup. If a cup's half empty, you can just kind of walk around and hold it to the side and swing it around. But when that cup is full to the brim, it takes a steady hand to keep from spilling it and staining the floor. It takes a steady hand to have the fullness of the blessings of God and not casually hold it and become self-righteous and think, we filled that cup up. We did that. By the way, let me just read to you Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his ordinances about his statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise... 
when you have eaten and are satisfied and have built good houses and lived in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold multiply and all that you have multiplies, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. Chapter 8 and verse 17. Otherwise, you may say in your heart, my power and the strength of my hand made me this wealth. But you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who is giving you power to make wealth, that he may confirm his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is to this day. It shall come about if you ever forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you today that you will surely perish. Forget. Just forgot. Forgot where I was. Forgot who I was. Forgot my place. Forgot my purpose. Forgot my calling. Forgot to be humble. Forgot to stay away. Forgot to come. There came a point when Uzziah said, I'm good. He did right in the sight of the Lord. When he, Isaiah, when Uzziah would have looked around and said, I'm as good as any king that's ever lived. I'm powerful. I'm successful. The people love me. And he started taking credit for what God had done. God sure is lucky to have a church like this. Boy, this town sure is lucky to have a church like Sherwood. I hope all these people in this community appreciate how much we gave and sacrificed so that we could have a legacy park so they could go out and play on it. They're sure lucky that we did that. This world is sure lucky that we make movies. Just think where this world would be if we hadn't made movies. Well, I tell you what, we're lucky to have the talent that we have in this church, the choir that we have, the soloists that we have. And we're lucky to have the staff that we have. I tell you what, wasn't for us, God be in a hurt in Albany, Georgia. Wasn't for us. Things be going down the tubes worse than they are. Self-righteousness. But not only self-righteousness, but the pride of self-sufficiency. We don't need God. In fact, Uzziah came to the point where he thought, I can manage this, I can do this in my own strength. And he was no longer conscious of the need, and he felt like any task he could accomplish without seeking the Lord. Now, he kept going to the temple. He kept worshiping, he kept praying, but the words were hollow and empty and formal. And with our mouths, we can praise God, but in our hearts, 
we can think God is really lucky to have us. And then there's the peril of self-will. He entered into the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. What presumption, what arrogance. Now here's what he was doing. God had said in his word that the, that the king could never be a priest. A prophet could be a priest, but the king could never be a priest. And Uzziah had become so self-righteous and so self-sufficient and so full of self-will that he said, I don't care what God says, I'll do what I want to do. And he walked in and being king was not enough for him. He wanted to also be the priest. And by the way, the only person that gets to be prophet, priest, and king is Jesus Christ. And he marched himself into the altar where incense was burned, where sacrifice was made, and he justified it. He imposed his will over the word of God. God said, don't touch, don't go in, that's just for the priest. And Uzziah said, I'm an exception to that rule. God will give me a pass. F.B. Meyer made a statement about D.O. Moody that may be one of the greatest statements I've ever heard made about a man. When F.B. Meyer was asked why God's hand was on D.O. Moody, he said, Moody never seemed to have heard about himself. Now you think about that one for a minute. Moody was considered the greatest evangelist of his time. He was welcomed into pulpits and communities. Cities would shut down events. They would pay for the rental of an auditorium so that they could have enough room for all the people to hear Moody. But F.B. Meyer said, Moody seemed to have never heard about himself. In other words, when Moody looked in the mirror, he didn't think, my, that's D.O. Moody. Great this and great that. Can I tell you something, folks? The quickest way to lose the touch of God is one word, P-R-I-D-E. And I is the central letter of pride. Whatever you think you can do, you're not that good. Whatever we think this church can do, we're not that good. Self-will. The begin of a decline. A man who lived with the blessings and the power of God on his life. And now he's gone into a holy place. And there's a result of being set aside. The result of being set aside. The shadow of self fell on the altar. And the flesh rose up and took its place in the presence of God. Three things that were the result of his being set aside, and I want you to follow this very closely. 
First of all, he was rebuked. He was rebuked. Chapter 26 and verse 16. But when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. For he entered the temple and the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Then Azariah the priest entered after him and with him 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men, godly men, bold men. These are men who stand between the king and sin and say, you've gone too far, bud. You're strutting too much. You're walking too proud. You're sitting on your high horse and you've gone too far. You stop right now. These men came and they opposed Uzziah the king. Now, Uzziah could have had every one of them killed. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priest, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. He was rebuked, and he was unteachable when he was rebuked. Have you ever tried to help somebody and they didn't receive it? That's exactly the spirit of Uzziah when God takes his hand off of him. You say, well, I, I don't want to receive it from that person. Not who you receive it from. It's do you receive when God speaks and says, you better not touch that. You better not do Don't you go there. Don't you think that way. Don't you come in here like you're the last great hope. He was rebuked. He was removed. Verse 19. But Uzziah, with a censer in his hand for burning incense, was enraged. That word means he was literally raging like a storm. He went out of his mind mad. And he was removed. While he was enraged with the priest, the leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord, beside the altar of incense. Now you realize leprosy made you unclean. He's in a place of cleansing, and now he's become unclean, visibly unclean. Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead, and they hurried him out of there. And he himself also hastened to get out because the Lord had smitten him. Now I want you to read verse 21. King Uzziah was a leopard to the day of, leopard to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house being a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. He was removed, and finally, he was replaced. Chapter 26 and verse 21. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now, biblical historians tell us that Uzziah probably lived with leprosy for 10 years. Now, here's a man who sought the Lord, who had the favor of God, who had the blessings of God, who had been used of God, 
And for the next 10 years of his life, he cannot be seen in public. He cannot rule. He cannot reign. He is not only cut off from his family. He is cut off from ever going to the temple. He is cut off from the place of sacrifice. He is cut off from the altar. He is cut off from his power. He is cut off from his friends. He is separated from worship. And for 10 years, he is cut off, put aside, as he watches another do what God had intended for him to do. In every community, there are churches that have been cut off. Some power group, some pastor in immorality, some unconfessed sin, undealt with issue, some pride has entered into the hearts and the minds of people in that church, and they're cut off. And they drive by where God is doing a work, and they remember when it used to be like that at their church. When God used to move, when young people used to come, and when children used to come, but it's not there anymore. It doesn't happen anymore. Could it be Could it be that Sherwood Baptist Church is about to walk into the, the snare of success and find ourselves cut off from God being a leper, unclean, unclean? no longer having the power of God on our lives. By the way, what Uzziah did is the spirit of Antichrist because 2 Thessalonians tells us that Antichrist will come and sit on the throne and act like God. Could it be that God would cut us off or could it be that we today would heed Matthew twenty-three twelve? Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. Stephen, hand me that case under my seat, if you would. Thank you, sir. I, uh, every now and then I get pens, and I, I like pens. Anybody that knows me has ever walked in my office, I got all kind of little pen cases, and you know, I like pens, and sometimes people give me expensive pens. And this is a really nice Mont Blanc pen that somebody gave me. This is a really nice Mont Blanc pen that somebody gave me. This one, I went and checked it out. It's about $250 pen. Nice pen. I put them in my bag this morning for an illustration. Because you see, I am prone to leave a pen in my coat. And I am prone to lay it down. And I'm very prone to lose them. 
So you know where these pins stay? They stay in a drawer. And I never use them. You know why? Because I might lose them. I might set it aside and forget that it's there. By the way, I picked this one up this morning. It's been set aside so long that the ink cartridge is dry inside of it. It won't write anymore. This one's a little ballpoint pen. I picked it up this morning, tried to write with it. It wrote about half a word, and then it quit because the ink has dried out in it. When Paul said, I fear that having done everything I've done, I might be a castaway. It is the picture of someone that was once useful and now set aside. These pens are very nice and they're expensive. And I'm grateful for the people that gave them to me. but they're not being used for the purpose for which they were created. And so, most Sundays, if you ever see me using a pen, it'll look something like this, $1.29. It's cheap. It'll run out of ink one day, have fulfilled its purpose, and I'll throw it away but it's being used for the purpose for which it was created. Church family, we were created to give glory and honor in our lives individually and in our church collectively to the living Lord. We were not created to be an expensive showplace for what we have, but we were created to be uncapped, to be who God called us to be. Would you bow with me, please? Now, we're not going to worry about time, so don't worry about time. There's not going to be any singing. There's just an open altar. It's just an open altar. So that we might not ever reach the point where we say, Oh, I did that. I'm that. I'm this. We're that. We're this. So that we would never reach the point when we say, God, you're sure lucky to have us. Don't know what you'd do without us. I don't know how you made it before we got here. I don't know how you'll make it after we're gone. But he does, and he will. And so we're going to Stand, but I don't want anybody looking around. This is not a looking around time. This is a God blesses as long as we seek the Lord. So I'm going to ask you just stand where you are. It may make it easier for you to get out and get down to this altar. And I want you to stay here for a while. You may be through with the business that you need to do with God, but if you're physically able, 
I want you to stay here for a while because God's not through with the business He wants to do with us. Because it's not just about you individually, it's about us collectively. That with our success could become the greatest hindrance to revival in the life of our church. Our abilities could cause us to lose God's availability. Our strength could cause us to depend on ourselves and not on the strong arm of the Lord. Folks, if it has the fingerprints of man on it, it does not have the hand of God on it. If we're touching it and grabbing it and holding on to it and rejoicing in it, then God can't get glory in it. Now, we've got a decision to make. We've got to decide, are we going to focus on honoring God or are we going to focus on what we want to do? Are we going to focus on the works of our hands and the thoughts of our minds? Or are we going to lift up clean hands to the Lord? And are we going to have renewed minds? God does not owe us another breath, another day, another favor. But I will tell you this. Jesus said, these are words from the lips of Jesus to your ears. Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. The extent of our ability to bless from this moment on, as long as God gives us breath, is the extent of our humility. If we are not humble, we might as well be lepers. Because in the eyes of God, we have entered into holy things with unclean hands and unclean hearts. And God will not bless that which does not look and taste and smell and sound like Jesus. As Cody said in his card to me, I don't know what I should pray for you about, but I do know that I think it should be about revival. Folks, this could be our last refresh conference. This could be our last service. It could be our last opportunity. Maybe we need to pray that old song, Pass Me Not, O Gentle Savior. 
Because the last thing I want to do is be a man who God has set aside. The last thing I want to do is be pastor of a church that God has set aside. And for us in any way to still come and think that somehow we can bargain with a holy God and say, but in light of all that we've done, surely it doesn't matter. If it's not laid at the feet of Jesus, it is nothing but wood and hay and stubble. And on the day of judgment, it'll be burned up. will count for nothing. And all that we might think God did when it comes to the rewards, it will be nothing. Because we took all the glory and the credit for ourselves. Father, you and you alone are worthy of our praise. Lord, I thank you for a word. I wasn't looking to deliver it. But I thank you for giving me the grace and the strength to do it. I pray that the tone has been tempered by my great love for these people and my great fear of you. God, we don't want to go where you're not going. We don't want to do that which does not have your hand on it. And in these days, give us spiritual breath. Holy Spirit of God, breathe on us. Take control. Shuffle and reshuffle our agendas until our only agenda is you. Stir in the hearts of our children with their childlike faith. Stir in the hearts of our teenagers who are the next generation to carry the torch. That they will seek the Lord. Stir in the hearts of those that are new to this faith and those that are seasoned in it. We must never stop growing. We must never stop seeking. We never get to the point where we can say, I can handle this. Lord, remind us that the most deadly words we can ever say are, I will do it for you, Jesus. When apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. Still our hearts. Tender our hearts. Take the wax out of our ears, the scales off of our eyes so that we can see and hear and respond to that which is of you. We pray it in Jesus' name. And the people of God said, those of you at the altar would just stand for a moment.